This is the Men of Athens podcast, making the unknown God known to a very religious world. For more information, check out menofathens.com. You're listening to the Men of Athens podcast, making the unknown God known to a very religious world. I'm Thomas Lawson. I'm Dave Barry. Dave, uh, we're going to kick things off this, this episode on a somber note. Most people by now, if not everyone, knows about the very tragic shooting that took place down at the high school in Parkland, Florida. Uh, 17 students uh, and faculty, a combination of students and faculty, were killed in that shooting by the shooter. Uh, shooter is in custody. Um, pretty clear evidence that uh, he, was, he was the sole perpetrator of this terrible, terrible act. And uh, so, yeah, we want to take a few minutes today on the podcast, talk about this uh, mm-hmm. from a Christian perspective. How do we as believers really react to this subject? And as our coworkers, friends, neighbors, those around us are going to be talking about this, what is the Christian perspective? What is the biblical perspective in all of this? Dave, you have some experience. Uh, it's touched you personally, at least mm-hmm. loved ones around you. Um, share a little bit of that, if you would. Mm-hmm. You know, um uh, first, it's it's uh, I would say sadly become commonplace where there's the ubiquitous thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers are being said by politicians and tweeted out all over the place. And uh, as to my knowledge, this is the first crisis and tragedy where people have rebutted against that and and met that phraseology, thoughts and prayers, with negativity and just outright mm-hmm. anger. Um, so that's there, but as Christians, uh, we don't think about people. We, we pray for them. Obviously, we're thinking about them. But, but this, just the first thing to know is that, that we, we um, have Christ's heart among us to pray. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the first thing that needs to be said is that we absolutely are praying for healing and restoration um, in Christ for all the people involved. So we know that there's there's uh, brothers and sisters, both students and teachers and ministers of the gospel in the community who are on the ground there and, uh, you know, praying that the Lord would strengthen them in their grief and shock to love and give the answers of the only hope in the universe in Jesus. So uh, your question was, you know, my personal experience. Um, Can, let me say something yeah, real yeah. quick before you uh, move on from that. And it, what you're saying is extremely important. Um, dear mentor friend of mine used to kind of say tongue-in-cheek when people say, hey, just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. He would respond, well, your thoughts have no power. <laughs> and there, it's, it's a little bit funny, but, but there's a profound truth in that. You're right. Our thoughts, if we're just thinking positive thoughts about somebody, has no power whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But prayer is effective. Yeah. Prayer is going before the God, the creator, the sovereign of, whole, of the whole universe, and, and petitioning him to do something mm-hmm. in this. And that, that is uh, the highest level of effectiveness. Yeah. So it's not a cop-out to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, right now for those that are raw and those that are hurting, mm-hmm. and, if, and if someone's not a Christian, to them it may seem like a cop-out. Mm-hmm. But 
But just know in your heart of hearts that as a believer, to pray and to pray sincerely mm-hmm. is, is not a cop-out in this situation. Yeah, you know, and the the phrase gets thrown around, like you said, prayer is effective, or you, you see prayer works. The thing is, prayer doesn't work, God works. Right. And so prayers are effective because we pray to an effective God. And so my hope at, as a Christian is that there is a a profoundly mysterious, yet has made himself known, good God in the heavens who is intimately aware and involved in all the circumstances in Florida right now. So my prayers to him, asking him for mercy and grace and healing and all the things that I pray for, uh, my hope and trust is in him to move and do the work that he wants to do to accomplish among among the people there in in the pain shock, confusion, everything. Yeah. You know, I, my my wife's sister was at this was uh at the school where one of the first Columbine copycat shootings took place early 2000s. But she was able to escape from the school, made it home. Um so that's that's an element of near and dear. And then where where we are recording today, just a few miles from us, was um, a, a shooting at a local high school four years ago yeah. in 2014. And when that shooting took place, uh, both a close family friend was a senior in high school, uh, barricaded the door with his body. He, he grabbed, uh, um, he, so he just, he, he barricaded the room. You know, it was, it was a very intense situation in contact with his family while they were on lockdown. At the same time, another friend, her freshman son, was moments away he he was supposed to be in the room where the shooting took place but missed a light that he normally makes running across the street and was a few minutes late to class mm. so that when he was walking in when the shooting was taking place uh, on campus security were there to shoo him away and uh and then even more recently at another local school in town a uh, a young man with uh, unfortunate, but no malicious intent, intent, unfortunate in the sense that he was completely foolish, brought a gun to school yeah. and was put in jail. And I visited him a couple of times while he was in jail to talk to him about a situation. So to hear this school shooting and being someone who's involved in student ministry, I, I just, I am by no means an expert. It just seems to have been something that has been on my radar and all of our radar, really. Yeah. Uh, recently, so so that's that's kind of my situation, I guess. Yeah, and and I think for those that might be tuning in right now, um, listening to this podcast, one thing I do want to make clear is that we're not about to have uh, a debate on gun control here today. That's mm-hmm. that's not the purpose of this podcast. We want to look at this from a Christian perspective mm-hmm. and say how can we as believers respond in the face of this and also respond moving forward. It's not that that debate is un- invaluable or, or unvaluable, excuse me, yeah. but um, that that's not our purpose here today in this. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. not going to be what we're, what we're digging into in all of this. Yeah. And when we talk about this, yeah. when you have a conversation like this with somebody else, we're, we're dealing with a, a very complex theological category called theodicy. And that's a fancy way of, of talking about the problem of pain and suffering. That that um, age-old question of, if there's a good God in heaven, how can 
and then you fill in the blank with, with something that happens. After the shooting that we experienced in our community in 2014, uh, I stepped into the pulpit that following Sunday, both with the senior in high school sitting a few rows in, in front of me, his family, and then also thinking about my friend who doesn't yet know Christ and her son who was um, making his way to campus that morning, thinking about them. And, uh, you know, Thomas, I have to say there there is not a Bible verse where it says, thus says the Lord, this is why I allow evil to happen. Yeah. I- instead, we do get clues. We do get comments. We get a lot of stories or narratives in Scripture that begin to shape our minds around of all the possible worlds that God could have created. He could have created a world in which there was no sin and suffering. He could have created a world in which no people existed. He could have done anything he wanted, but in his infinite wisdom, he created a world like this. Yeah. Um, And uh, for me, going to Luke 11 is is a actually excuse me John 11 is a very important passage that that begins to address the issue of suffering and pain so that's that's the story of of Lazarus Jesus his close friend Lazarus had two sisters Mary and Martha Jesus is a few towns away and Lazarus takes sick and then Lazarus dies now the sisters had sent a messenger to Jesus to come and heal him and Jesus could have done that, but he chose not to. In fact, he told his disciples, it's for the glory of God that I'm not going to go. Yeah. And and so Lazarus dies. And then Jesus goes and he visits him. And what's interesting is when you look at this story, you have a number of different people in the community. You have the townsfolk. You have Lazarus who is dead in the tomb. You have Mary and Martha and you have the disciples. And you see these different responses. And I think the responses of the people... They represent the different responses that people have. So so the, the community said, hey, couldn't this guy who opened the eyes of the blind man also permitted this guy from being sick and dying? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, absolutely, he could have. Martha and Mary both meet Jesus at different points in the story, and they both say the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, then yeah. my brother wouldn't have died. And that's true. Jesus wept with Mary, he consoled Martha. And then the disciples were there, and the disciples were told, this is so that you can see the glory of God. So right there, I think that on the ground in Florida, there's going to be people who are doubting, is God even there? Is God even good? There's going to be people who do trust God, but their trust is wavering right now because Mm -hmm. how could a good God let this happen? I, my mind is going a lot of di- different directions as you're talking about this. It, you're, you're absolutely correct. I think about John chapter 9 sometimes. A lot of times um, our, our family personally has been touched by disability. We have a son that was born with spina bifida. So John chapter 9, the man born blind. Uh, disciples ask Jesus when they see him, who sinned, this man or his parents? Yeah. Jesus says it, it wasn't either. It yeah. was neither he nor his parents sin, so that the, the works of God can be displayed. Mm-hmm. And you see this, this pattern repeating itself throughout the book of John where Jesus makes these just phenomenal claims to his messiahship, mm-hmm. and then he backs it up by doing the, uh, a work that displays, that, that you know, it proves that he is the messiah. Mm-hmm. And, and the, of course, the story of Lazarus being 
being one of those, raising a man from the dead. So um, you're right, when I think about suffering, when I think about pain, when I think about the evil in the world um, it, that we, we see, we don't have one verse we go to in Scripture that says, this is why evil happens, this is why God allowed it to enter this world, and this is how he uses it in every situation. Uh, what we do have are these stories. You put all those things together, and we, we come up with a, a theology of suffering, a theology of evil in the world that is, I'm going to say this, but don't burn me at the stake as a heretic for saying this. Uh-oh. But but to all of us, I think, to some degree, is going to have holes in it. Every explanation, if we're looking for a nice, neat package that has uh, all of the corners rounded off where everything is nice and neat, we're going to come up short. And, and that's not just Christianity. That's not just that's not just the scriptures. I'm talking about. You, you think about atheism right now in response to this. If if you're a, a genuine atheist, if you're if you're a consistent atheist, there is absolutely no purpose for any of this that happened down in Florida. And even if you try to say, well, it was an offense to the 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 highest form of evolution, human life. Uh, I mean, if you keep going down the trail logically with that, you're going to be like, well, human life is not going to exist uh, ultimately when the universe collapses in on itself at the, you know, with the, or, or the big rip or the big crunch. Whatever happens in the end, it won't matter ultimately. If you go down the open theism route, open theism, the, the belief that God does not fully know the future, he sees it coming and, and thus reacts in certain situations where you're left with, well, if God saw this guy busting up into a school and was somehow surprised by the first shot, why didn't he intervene with the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth shot down the road there? Mm-hmm. You're still left with, you, you either have uh, a God who has no power or is limited in his power uh, for whom these things catch him off, uh, catch him by surprise, mm-hmm. or you have a God that is somehow sovereign in the midst mm-hmm. of all of this, mm-hmm. and is working out something far beyond what we can comprehend. It, it it may not make sense. It may not come to us all in some clean, neat, neat nice package. Mm-hmm. But um, but ultimately, we know that He does have good and perfect purposes behind these things. It, you're, you, you are left with a mystery. De- Deuteronomy 30, um, was it 29, verse 29, the secret things mm. belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever so that we may do all the works of this law. Yeah, the entire book of Job addresses this question. And on first, second, and 100th reading may not provide the answer that we're looking for. Mm. But a lot of times the answer that we're looking for isn't the answer we need. We need God to give us the right answer. So Job, you have this uh, upright, upstanding man. So there was, there was, he was righteous so that he was above reproach. You couldn't say anything wrong about him. And ultimately through a turn of events, his uh, children die. All of his wealth is taken away. His health is taken away. And then uh, even his his wife encourages him to curse God and die. Yeah. 
And then you have this long speech, these long speeches where Job's friends show up and their ultimate conclusion is, Job, you've got some hidden sin. God's punishing you, right? Similar to when you pointed out in John chapter 9, which I think is really, really important because people may be, for the Christian, the Christian might be thinking, okay, Florida happened because God is 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 punishing me. So it's someone who's there who experienced it. Maybe mm. there's a high school student who was there and they're thinking, you know what, I'm not as good as I should be, and therefore God's punishing me. That that is not what's happening. Um, we'll circle back to that with Job. What is the answer that he doesn't seem to be looking for? Is he's wanting to know why he's wanting to put God on trial, and then of all things, when God shows up to answer Job for all of his sufferings, God's response to Job is to give Job more God. Mm -hmm. Just speeches of where were you when I carved out the depths of the earth? Where were you? Can you feed the lions? Can you uh, unleash lightning? Does it have to ask you for permission? And so Job, who is the the quintessential sufferer who, who foreshadowed Jesus Christ, Job... The answer that God gave him was, I am God. And at first, our first reaction in our hearts may be, that's not the answer that I wanted. Mm. But as a good father, that's the best answer that we can get. Because what Job needed more than anything, having lost all of his children, betrayed by his wife, lost all his wealth, his health, all of those things. What Job needed more than anything was one thing that would never change and the one thing that can give him everything he needed. It wasn't a thing. It was a person, God. Yeah. And that at root is the answer to this suffering. So, so why did God allow this particular tragedy to happen? I don't know. Um, but we know at the end of the day, God's intention is to give himself to people who cry out for him, yeah, who are looking for him, and to even awaken people who um, who don't know that they ought to be looking for him to look for him. So C.S. Lewis is known for saying that uh, pain is God's megaphone, grief is mm-hmm. God's megaphone to get people's attention. Yeah, I think yeah. about if I can just jump yeah, in please, here for a second. Please. When I think about the gospel writer John being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write his gospel account in the other epistles, but specifically in his gospel account, we are allowed into, uh, we're allowed a glimpse of divine revelation in the story of the man born blind, John chapter 9, and in the story of Lazarus, John chapter 11. So we, we can say definitively that the man was born blind so that the works of God would be seen through Jesus Christ, that mm-hmm. he would heal him mm-hmm. and that his claim to be the Messiah would be backed up. Mm-hmm. We can say that Lazarus died so that Jesus could raise him from the dead and in doing so uh, declare himself to be the Messiah. Mm-hmm. When we see tragic events happening in this world, there are those that want to draw a direct parallel between one event and another. Let, let, let me just spell out a name here, Pat Robertson. After the, the, the earthquake happened in Haiti, that was devastating, devastating earthquake eight years ago. 
um, from which that country is is still recovering. He he drew this direct parallel between voodoo being there and the earthquake that took place. We don't have that knowledge to say definitively the earthquake happened because of that. We don't know. God has not revealed that to us. The same thing with Katrina uh, hitting the, the Gulf Coast. Uh, my parents, they they lost their house. Uh, it was six feet of water, flooded, trees fell on it, lost 90% of their possessions. Many people lost their lives. Uh, there were those that tried to say, draw this direct correlation between uh, Louisiana, uh, New Orleans being a, a city of sin, you know, a party, Bourbon Street, all of that, and this judgment of, of floodwaters being sent on it. We don't have that behind-the-scenes knowledge of the divine Correct. going on. So we can't, we can't draw some parallel there. Mm-hmm. And I think to do so is, is stepping way out of bounds, for a Christian to say such a thing that, and, and I don't, I don't, I haven't heard of any uh, anyone trying to draw some kind of parallel to that, like like down in Florida. I, I hope it hasn't happened, but I would not be surprised if there has been, because mm-hmm. I think people are trying to make sense of it and say, mm-hmm. well, there was some kind of wickedness, and this is the result. Mm-hmm. We we don't. Mm-hmm. have the divine knowledge to make that kind of claim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think what, what you're saying is in all of these situations that our response has to be uh, seeking God mm-hmm. in this, seeking God and to know him more in and through this. Yeah, you, you know, uh, the story of Joseph at the end of Genesis. I mean, what, what an amazing picture where this, this teenager is despised by his brothers is beaten up, thrown in a pit, and then sold into slavery. And at the end of his life, when he's elevated to second in power, known ruler of the known world there in Egypt, he's able to say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I remember listening to a lecture from a a Bible scholar by the name of D.A. Carson. He talked about how God is so powerful, so intimately sovereign, that he's able to work in, through, behind, and before human sin and the free actions of humans to bring out his glory. And that is seen most brightly at the cross of Christ. When we read in Acts that that the people who crucified Christ and all that surrounded it was the very thing they wanted to do, and yet what they were unfolding God's predetermined plan. Yeah. Okay. So my point in bringing this out takes us back to when we are talking about open theism, that system that says God doesn't know the future. He's just a really, really smart guesser. Maybe, maybe not the best, fairest description, but anyways, <laughs> we worship a God who is absolutely sovereign. I mean, we can go through, He, uh, scripture says that he makes rich. He make, You think of Hannah's song. He makes rich. He makes poor. He uh, brings low, he exalts. It says that he kills and he makes alive. Um, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel says that he's in the heavens. Uh, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So we we worship this God who is utterly sovereign, but completely good. And yet, however it works out, human beings, we make decisions that we want to make and do what we want to do. And so when this took place, this tra- tragedy is 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 was the free acts of human beings causing destruction and sin. Yeah. I mean, we're just, we're seeing 
the effects of sin and the fall. So our hope then, so going back to Job, why does this happen? Why did you let this happen? God never tells us why. He just gives us clues where he says, okay, in the case of Joseph, God sent me ahead of you to save many people alive. So uh, Joseph's dad received Joseph back from the dead, as it were, because he thought his son was dead. His brothers told him that. So you see that God's purposes, while we don't know why he allowed this species of suffering or tragedy to take place, we got to think on that on that global scale. And, 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 and here's the thing is this is not, it's not meant to be insensitive or uncaring to the real biting uh, soul, stomach turning pain and sorrow and shock. I mean, it's there's a yeah. reason why Jesus wept. Jesus wept because he was also a man feeling the human emotion of the loss and sorrow. Yes, he was God in the flesh. Yes, he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead in a few moments, and yet still he experienced those things. So we, um. It, it, this is these aren't trite answers. This is trying to get behind and in suffering. And because God doesn't give us, thus says this is why, we have to piece together what Scripture yeah. says. And 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 ultimately, the rightly well worn passage Romans eight twenty eight for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, He works all things out for the good. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing: the next verse tells us what that good is. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. Yeah. So in other words, the good that God is always working in our pain and suffering ultimately is to make us more like Christ. That has to be the, the hope that undergirds our suffering. It, it has to uh, inform when we move into suffering or, or counseling someone in suffering is, he needs to give us a fitting word and season of how to answer them, but we have to know that behind all that, God is is working in this person's life to get their attention, to to move them to a place to cry out to Him, um, to make them more like Christ if they know Him, to get them to meet Christ if they don't know Him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, that's not trite answers. It doesn't minimize pain, sin, and suffering. It doesn't get the perpetrators off the hook. There's a reason justice system exists, but but knowing that there is a good and sovereign God who is able to work in, through, behind, before the sinful acts of man and woman to carry out his good gospel purposes, that's our hope. That's why we pray yeah. to this God. Yeah, I, I remember after 9-11 um, listening to a number of different perspectives uh, at that time, and, and, and one you know, minister actually standing up at a memorial service saying, uh, God had nothing to do with this. God didn't see it coming. That gives me no comfort. No. Um, That leads me to believe that um, we have an impotent God. Yes. That is uh, up there wringing his hands uh, just as nervously as, as we are who is going to be caught off guard by the next bad thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I was talking about that with someone um, just, just after those, the, shoot, the mass shooting took place in Las Vegas. I said, it, it seems like we're convinced that somehow after each tragedy, and that doesn't mean we can't 
get involved and, and try to enact good legislation and do things that will result in a peaceful society. I think, I think that, is, that is our responsibility as, as Christians, as people in this world, but not of it. But we're not going to enact legislation and, and, and do a bunch of stuff that's suddenly going to stop all the bad things from happening. Our greatest efforts that we, we might uh, put forth are, are still going to be not enough. Mm-hmm. We're going to wake up one morning again, and there's going to be the next bad thing. I'm not being pessimistic. I'm being, I'm being realistic. We live in this sinful, fallen world, and that's what we're going to deal with. Yeah. Uh, um, government, by and large, is a gift from God, but you can't legislate the human heart. Right. Only God can change the human heart, and that is the fundamental need of every human being is a new heart that has affection for the God of the gospel. Yeah. Um, C.S. Lewis married late in life, and then his wife died. And he kept a journal called, which was turned into a book called A Grief Observed. It's very raw, and it's it's a man wrestling with his grief. And, and uh, I actually... Um, quote it. It's from page 50 of the edition that I had in the sermon I preached after the shooting at the local school. But but just listen to this. He says, uh, but suppose that what you're up against is a surgeon whose intentions are wholly good. The kinder and more conscientious the surgeon is, the more inexorably he will go on cutting. If he yielded to your entreaties... If he stopped before the operation was complete, all the pain up to that point would have been useless. But is it credible that such extremities of torture should be necessary for us? Well, take your choice. The tortures occur. If they are unnecessary, then there is no God or a bad one. If there is a good God, then these tortures are necessary for no even moderately good being could possibly inflict or permit these tortures if they weren't. So in other words, he's likening right God to a surgeon. Yeah. And he is arguing in that quote that the evidence of pain proves God's goodness, mm. which is remarkably <laughs> brilliant and exactly how I do not think when I am in pain. But he makes a good point where if the surgeon stopped, and right, and he's, he's writing a while ago, so he doesn't have the medical advances, but think of a wartime surgeon. He's, he has to inflict more pain within your pain to bring healing. Yeah. And um, it, it's, it's remarkable here that he is using this in light of his own soul grief at the loss of his wife. For him, that was the surgery that he was getting. I think just just brilliant thought. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I take us to Second Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes, uh, so, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Mm. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Mm-hmm. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Mm-hmm. In the midst of all this, as we kind of start wrapping up this episode, 
I know we've kind of delved into the subject of suffering, um, just dealing with grief. Why is there evil? We've, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, just practically thinking about ways that, that people can respond. And we've already said one, praying. Um, even though thoughts and prayers is, is kind of receiving a negative reaction right now, I think for us as believers, we know that prayer is effective because we're praying to an effective God. Yeah, that That's a very practical way. And, and just to give a little bit of insight, uh, something that every time I, I hear of a tragedy happening, I... I pray specifically not only for the grief and suffering of those who have been af- affected in this uh, for their for their comfort, but I pray for the witness of the local church down mm-hmm. in in, mm-hmm. in Florida that is going to be in this community and surrounding people that they would weep with those who weep that they would be responding to the felt needs and the spiritual needs of that community, and I think we can we can pray for them. We're not down there. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope we never have to to deal with it up here or Mm -hmm. or we ever see another one again, but Mm -hmm. we can pray for the church down there Mm -hmm. and and for their strengthening in the midst of this situation. You know, and at the beginning and then just now the whole – I spoke negatively of the thoughts and prayers the way it's used. Here's the good thing about thoughts. Thoughts means that I'm pausing to put myself in the position of those people who are suffering. And, and that's called compassion. Mm-hmm. And then that, that thinking about um, how would I want those people there to interact with me here if we were in reverse situation. So, so I don't want to diminish thoughts. I was, I was talking about the godless cliche that it is that's used so often. But, I mean, that would be another thing is that we would spend time prayerfully thinking about those mm-hmm. people. Um, and And... Uh, and praying that if the Lord would have us somehow be involved in some capacity, that he would make that way known to us. But more than anything, like you said, it's it's uh, it's supporting our brothers and sisters who are on the ground there, who God sovereignly placed there to be light and hope. W- one brief circle back, when you just read Corinthians there, when Paul says that this light momentary affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory— I hear those words, and those are just those are jewels. Mm. But I could see how it could be misinterpreted and ring hollow, where someone says light momentary affliction. Are you are you making light of the the earth shattering, universe destroying pain that I'm going through right now? The man who wrote that was tortured many times, mm-hmm. shipwrecked numerous times bitten by poisonous snakes, ostracized, kicked out of his... Uh, his whole life was turned upside down, so he was a man who was not unaware of pain and suffering. But when Scripture talks that way, light momentary affliction, it's not minimizing the reality of the suffering that we have here. It's maximizing the glory that we will have when we see Christ face to face and we're with him in the new heavens and new earth. Uh, it, it's a statement that says your pain and suffering is so momentous and real and huge and and ever-present. How much more then when we are in glory, we're given Christ's mind and we can rightly understand then why God allowed what he allowed to have happen. 
And then we, when we see it and we say, ah, oh, yes, God, I understand. And I see that you're right. And I think you should have done that. Yeah. When we can get to that place, we, we see how glorious glory will be because of that divine perspective that right. he's going to give us. Exactly. And I want to circle back to something you said just a minute ago, that the subject of thinking about people in compassion. Um, it wasn't uh, until our family served on the mission field in Russia for a number of years that when I, when I learned the, the Russian word for compassion, I said, oh, it literally means to suffer with. I never thought about it in my own language. Sometimes learning another language yeah. helps you think about it. But if mm. you think about it, the word passion in our language, we, we, we talk about the passion of the Christ. You mm-hmm. may have heard that. Well, it's talking about the sufferings of Christ. And then I, and I piece it together and it's like, oh, compassion is co-passion. Yeah. To, to suffer with. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we want to have compassion on somebody, um, taking that time to think about their situation put yourself in the shoes and I, I, I couldn't help but the night that this shooting happened to think about my own children mm. and be like what in the world how would I feel if mm-hmm. I sent my daughter off to school mm-hmm. and she got shot mm-hmm. and killed mm-hmm. it's horrible I mean it, it made me physically in pain mm-hmm. to think about that situation and I think it's valuable to do that because the next thing I want to say and maybe we can call this the Thomas is about to make people angry section of the show. And I don't mean it that way, but uh, I understand that there are very, very, very strong views on gun control and Second Amendment rights. And I, again, we're not going to get into that debate right now. That's not what we're here. But I think it's important that believers understand, especially among Christians, because not all Christians agree on this. How we talk about this, how we disagree about this is important. There are people in retching pain right now, and it is, it is not a time, I don't think, whether, whatever perspective you take, it is not a time for trite little memes on Facebook and, and, and quaint little sayings. And it, It's not the time for that. It is time for a a big boy and big girl discussion. So Christians especially, I think one of the things we can do in the midst of all this is model civil discourse amongst each other. Because I'm not I'm not talking about far left Christians and far right Christians. I'm talking about conservative evangelical Bible believing Christians have differing views on this. And we've got to talk about it. If we're going to talk publicly, we've got to do it in a way that demonstrates Christian love and charity towards one another because ultimately, at the end of the day, we both want the same thing. We don't want this to happen again. There's a difference of opinion on how can we keep it from happening again. But as we talk about that, it's got to be done in a way that shows Christian love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes. You're I right. love your profound. Well, you agreement. prefaced it by saying that we can't get into it, and I, I think that that's. Yeah, I think what I appreciate about our conversation today is you could take out the immediate topic of the shooting, and then insert cancer. Yeah, you can insert divorce. Um, you could insert the wayward child, mm-hmm. the the um, dashed dreams. I mean. The list goes on 
uh, every every person who listens to this will have a portfolio of options of things to put in there. Because if you live in this world, which we do, you will suffer. And we have suffered and we will suffer. So something like this helps us cling to a very big and good God whose ways are always right and just. And we can tr- we can trust him. Amen, brother. Thank you for joining us again for the Men of Athens podcast. Uh, it's been great having this time to, to talk a little bit. Uh, hard subject. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the hardness, the difficulty, uh, we're very thankful that we have an eternal hope that we can trust in. So signing off for Men of Athens, I'm Thomas Lawson. I'm Dave Barry, and, and we want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Men of Athens podcast. If you have a question or comment that you would like us to address on a future episode, email us at questions at menofathens.com. And please consider subscribing on iTunes or Google Play.